good day. I got a new podium. John got me a new podium. Everybody look at it. It's flat. I can put a drink on there and not behind me. Praise the Lord. It is so good. Well, I feel like I've tried to talk into my coffee. Is that going to work? <laughs> I promise I've done this before. <laughs> um, it's been a minute since I've been able to speak. The last three weeks, we've had a, an exciting time. Um, Dr. Hawkins was with us three weeks ago. How many guys enjoy Dr. Hawkins? Is he not just a gem of a man? I, I'm so blessed to be able to spend time with him um, at the seminary. And to call him a friend now, man, we've been able to, he hung out at my house all weekend long during that time. We had a fantastic opportunity just to hang out and to talk a bunch. And then uh, the week after that was Father's Day. I got to take some, uh, some family vacation, a uh, very short one, but it was really great being able to get away with the family. It's, it's awesome. It's good to rest. Amen. That's, that's very hard for some people. Um, that is me. I'm not one that's easy to jump into rest, and so it's good to be able to rest and to get away. And then, uh, then, like Dad said, we had the women's conference, and that was, uh, how many guys liked Sister Virginia's message last Sunday? Wasn't it good? Amen. So what I wanted to do is I want to continue uh, the, this series that I started about four weeks ago <laughs> on, uh, on the book of Psalms. This is, this is something that I've been really excited about doing. I, I, I even talked about wanting to do this uh, probably four, three, no, probably about three years ago or so. I've been wanting to do a series over, over the book of Psalms like this, and uh, I, I don't know, I may, I may end up doing this every summer, just jumping into the book of Psalms uh, just for some rhythms of life and just making that kind of a current theme that we can roll through. But um, I think that there's so much value in us being able to look through the book of Psalms. Um, I mean, it's also the largest book in the Bible when you look through it. It's in the very middle of the Bible. If you just kind of open it up from the middle, it, there it is, the book of Psalms. It also contains the largest chapter in the entire Bible in Psalm 119. And so... There's a lot that we can learn and, and, and be, be able to contribute to in our lives as we take a peek at the book of Psalms. And so this, uh, this series, Rhythms for Life, we're going to go through uh, these specific areas um, in this series. I, I kind of introduced the, the entire topic four weeks ago, but I know that it's been a couple weeks. And so because of that, I'm going to do just a brief overview again of kind of what we're doing. There's, there's three specific stages, and there's a couple substages in the middle of it. The first one is Psalms of Orientation. This is what we're going to go through today, a Psalm of Orientation. And these are the actual rhythms for life that we find, not just for your life personally, but this is also for humanity and the, and the errors and the seasons that we find ourselves in um, as a collective group. So Psalms of Orientation, this is the establishment, this is the foundation that's laid in our belief and understanding. And then the next one are Psalms of Disorientation. Now, there are actually two stages within this disorientation. There's uh, disorientation stage one and disorientation stage two. Stage one is where you get hit with something that knocks you off balance. Something that causes a shock in the system. It kind of it it wobbles you a bit from your oriented stage, your foundation. And it's something that causes you to go into a place much much into, some people end up falling into a, a thought process of either depression or anxiety, and they end up staying there because of this, the, the disorientation. Now, the second stage, disorientation stage two, is understanding that circumstances are not great. However, you know who God is and what he's capable of doing in, inside of you and in this situation, and so your hope is placed in Christ. Even though circumstances may not have changed, your perspective has changed. And that's disorientation stage two. 
Then the next portion is the reorientation stage. Reorientation is the testimony from going through whatever it was that you went through. And so you have the orientation stage, the foundation of who God is, your belief system and everything. And then the disorientation, when that faith is shaken a bit, when you have something that causes you to understand that something's awry, something's not where it needs to be. And then the second stage in that disorientation is to know that there is hope and that Christ can take care of you and that you can deal and you can confront that disorientation and start to work for whatever the solution needs to be. And then the reorientation stage is the stage where you find yourself in the testimony where you can say, this is what I went through, but this is where I am today, and this is who I am today, and this is the outcome of all these things, and I can give God praise in the midst of it. Amen? So let's, let's start with orientation here as we, as we start to move here in this stuff. I'm going to open up this, some of these notes. I made two separate sections of notes for this one. There's so much, I was, I was doing some studying, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to even finish this first one. I was telling Philip earlier this morning, I went, I have a lot of notes. I may turn this into two, two separate messages, but we'll see how far we go. So orientation, this understanding is where God rules, and the world is okay because he is king. Everybody say, he is king. So God rules, and everything is okay because he is king. He is the sovereign God of the universe. So your perspective is from his sovereignty. My, uh, my Old Testament professor, Dr. Mark Boda, he, uh, he was speaking with a Jewish rabbi at one time. He was doing a lot of, a lot of studies on, on this topic. And, of course, he, his, his emphasis was on Old Testament um, literature and studies and stuff. And so he was asking a uh, Jewish rabbi who's traveled all over the globe doing various things for the for the church and and so he said hey wh- what is it about the Psalms that that excites you what is it about your faith that drives you and he started just asking him some specific questions and he went on and on and on about all these great stories that he encountered when he was in China when he was in um, parts of Africa and he went to other parts of of Europe and and then even his his times in in the States, and then uh, in Canada, my professor's from Canada, and so his time in Canada, and then finally he said, well, you know what, let's, let's just go to, let's go to the synagogal literature, and let's see what, what the liturgy says. Liturgy is just the form and the format and the kind of the flow of what the service is that you guys do, or the flow of a, of a religious practice, and so litur- like our liturgy, just for understanding our liturgy here, you, you may not have ever heard that word before, but liturgy is just a flow in section. So our liturgy is that I'll stand up at the beginning of the service and say, hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? Let's gather together and pray. Now go greet somebody. And then we'll move into worship. And then from worship, then we'll have somebody come up and they'll pray and they'll go through maybe some exhortation. And then we uh, receive an offering. And then from that point, then we may have some testimonies. We may have a word given or something like that. And then we move into a message. And then from that point, um, we'll either do altar service or just some individual prayer. We may do worship, but then we'll leave. That's our liturgy. That's kind of our, our, our framework of kind of how we, what we do church. And so when I say liturgy, that's what I mean. So he said, let me go to the synagogal um, liturgy for the Shabbat. And this is the time of, of rest that they enter into for the, for the Sabbath, much of the time. And so he looked there, and, and every Friday night, this group would go through Psalm. They would read, they would gather together on Friday, and they would read Psalm 93 through 100. Every single, every single week they would start, they would read Psalm 93 through 100. 
And these are psalms of orientation. These establish your understanding and belief of who God is as king. Very interesting that they do this because as they go through the process on Friday night, they begin their position of rest. They're Sabbathing. And as they're doing this, they're repositioning their mind and realizing, and they, they even sing a song. They call it a song to, to Queen Sabbath. That sounds weird, but I'll just explain it a little bit. The song to Queen Sabbath. The reason why they frame it that way is because they understand the marriage between our sovereign God and the necessity for rest, the necessity for Sabbath, the command of Sabbath, and how those two go hand in hand. Realistically, when you look at the book of Genesis and the very first um, the, the very first story of creation and all these things, you have, you know, the seven eras, the seven days, eras, not eras, the seven days or the eras that you have in those times. And in those seven days, you have all these things that God did through the first six days. On the sixth day, he created man, and the seventh day, God did what? He rested. Yeah, he rested. So in this understanding, in this thought process, God actually, the first thing that man sees God do is rest. Think about that. The first thing that man sees God do is rest. He's not creating. He's not doing all these different things. The first thing he does is rest. Now, I mentioned earlier, one of the things that I struggle with the most is rest. Anybody else like that? Like you, you are looking for an opportunity to work on something or to do something or something needs to get accomplished or, you know, there has to be a task somewhere or I have to have a checklist of something and I have to go through this. I, that, that is my brain constantly. I'm constantly looking for what is the next thing that I can do? How can I get ahead of, of next week's schedule? How can I do this and do that? But in reality, what that does is that causes you not to sit and to reflect and not to have the opportunity for growth in the rest. And so when they gather together, they look at the established scriptures from 93 to 100 and see who it is that they worship, knowing that they cannot work themselves for their salvation. It is only through, through God that they can receive the benefits and the fruits of their labor through their sin. And it's only through the rest that they can sacrifice their own feeling of accomplishment and realize, I'm going to be faithful and trust that the things that I did those six days are well and good enough and that the Lord will bless my hard work and determination and I can rest in knowing that he is my provider and he will open the doors that I need to have opened. He will provide for me in the ways that I need to be provided for. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be lazy those other six days. And so really they start their week from Sabbath. Sabbath is the first day of the week. Many of us think the opposite way. Many of us think the Sabbath is actually at the end of the week. I can finally rest because I've worked so hard. And I've earned my rest. It's the opposite, actually, when you look at it. You start your week from a position of rest so that you can move into the week's activities, knowing that I am well-rested and that I've taken the time to alleviate myself from all of the things that could be compressing my mind or, or anything like that. And I can actually deal with things, because I don't know about you, but if your hands are busy, sometimes it's hard for your mind to start actually dealing with what you need to. You need to have rest and quiet, and you need to go through those positions of not having to work so that you can deal with things that are also internal. Otherwise, you can go years and years and years without dealing with things that you need to deal with because you have not stopped to rest. It's where you charge. And so you start that position from rest knowing that I serve a sovereign God. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to establish myself from a position of rest. 
and then I'm going to move into the rest of the week honoring the God who is the provider. So that's the first thing that he that he looked at when he looked at the at the sovereignty and the, the glorious nature of God. And so you're honoring God's kingship. And then they end that uh, that service with an understanding of God's sovereignty in the marriage of the Sabbath and and Yahweh honoring his rulership and reign and the rest as worship unto him. This being a reminder that we are not God. It is he who is God. And so there, there are, are many variations of these psalms that we're going to go through um, or that we could go through. I'll, I'll just give a brief, a brief explanation. You can put those up next eye if you want to. The types of orientations and psalms. You can see all of them up here. Um, there are, you can see there's lots of different ways that you can see who God is and, and the worship of God in the midst of it. But the types of orientation psalms are this. There's psalms of in, uh, in, impiritival praise, excuse me, impiritival praise. There's psalms of Zion, psalms of Yahweh's kingship. And then there's other psalms of orientation. This is a, just a specific category because there's not as many, so they kind of group all of these up into one. Um, psalms of general praise, that's uh, like talking about the God of, of creation, uh, chapters 8 and 33. There's the creation to the Torah, so there's that, that distinction where creation and the Torah are all intertwined, celebrating the God who, um, who has rules and who um, gives favor and blessing to you, so that's in Psalm 19. Then there's also Psalms of blessing. This is uh, the blessing of the king in chapter 45, 72, 78, 110. And then there's ones that deal with people, the Psalms of blessing to people, Psalms 1, 128 and 133. Um, we're just going to go through probably the first two, realistically, possibly this morning, if I could get through it, the first two, and, uh, and kind of give an explanation, just so you get an, a, a quick understanding of, of how these things can influence and impact your life. And so, uh, Psalms of, of imperatival praise, these are written from the perspective of well-being, and they end with a call to worship. So in this understanding, you feel well. You're in a state of well-being. Life is good. You know, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Right? That, that's, that's the position you're feeling. You're, you're doing great. This is wonderful. So you're, you're just pumped, and you're writing this from, man, I'm pumped about who you are, God. I'm, I'll praise you for all the things that you do. This is so great. Thank you for this, and thank you for that. Thank you for this. And you're pumped. You're stoked. It's amazing. So this is written from that perspective, and these are the elements that you find in this imperial praise um, the first one, as you look through, is, is the prologue. It's a hallelujah. It's a give thanks. So when you look at, at the Psalms, many of you guys have seen, you know, uh, uh, praise to the God of the universe or praise to the Lord our God. Um, we give him ultimate, all these different things like that. Then the next one that we see is a call to praise. And so the reason why he is giving praise. So we praise you, Lord. We give you thanks. This is amazing. And this is why. This is who you are. And then we go further. Then you have the content of the praise. So it's like a summary statement of his goodness. And then specific illustrations. You know, you are the conqueror of all of my enemies. You are the, the provider of all of my need. You know, giving examples specifically. These guys were coming up against me, but yet your hand was so strong and you wiped them from our, from our midst. Giving those, those really specific illustrations there. Then the next part of this is the conclusion. They give concluding thoughts in the middle of it. And then you have an epilogue at the end of that where it ends with a hallelujah 
and to give thanks again. So the same way they started is a lot of times the same way that they end these sections. And so this is a, uh, a great way to be able to, to identify. And, and the cool thing, the way that my professor labeled this out is that it's not always in this order. These are like Lego pieces. So you have the opportunity to grab a Lego piece and to set it down and to grab another one. And so these are elements that you find. It's not a succinct thing. So it's a creative aspect that they will use many of these to be able to build a picture for you so that you can see what it is that God is doing and why he is the foundational element of our life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, there's also some themes that you'll see. And these themes are, are listed as this. The, there's one of praise of God as a creator. You have praise of Yahweh as an actor in history. So, so this is a little bit different from, because they'll mention some things that, that went awry. But for these guys, this is more like, hey, we remember what you did in Exodus. And that was a long time ago. So aren't you amazing for what you did back in those days in Exodus? And that now we're living in a time that we're at right now. Does that make sense? So it's still, you'll still see the elements of like, hey, you know, the, your people were, man, they were going crazy. They were in slavery. They were all these things. But you are so incredible that you brought us out of those things. And now, you know, we are blessed to be in this position. So it's a reminder kind of, I mean, we have scripture. We can go back to scripture. It's the same thing as we read the Bible. We're like, dude, God, you're crazy awesome. That was incredible that you did that. Man, they were in such a bad place. But look at how amazing you are that you brought them out of that space. Man, I, could, I just praise you for that. And so that's what he means as an actor in history. There was something that happened that he acted upon that causes me to remember, recollect, and give him praise for. And then you have praise of Yahweh as king. Again, the establishment of God as the king of the universe, the, the king of my heart. And then the last one is, is a praise of Yahweh as deliverer. And many times you have some... Some combination of these, it could be Yahweh as creator and king, or it could be actor in history, king and deliverer, or, you know, you can, you can mix and match all of these throughout these times. They're very creative in the way that they're able to pull in the history of what God has done and then apply their praise adequately to the king of the universe. And so let's go through an example. An example here is in Psalm 146. Psalm 146 says this, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Does that look familiar from what I just talked about? Starting with praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, O God, forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. 
praise the Lord. This is, this is really, really great. So you actually see in this passage at the very beginning, you see the elements, the prologue, the hallelujah, give thanks. The first part of verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And then you see the call of praise. So the first part, the prologue, is just to praise the Lord, that section. And then you see the, the introduction of the call to praise when he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, I'm calling my soul to praise him. And then continues into verse 2. I will praise the Lord all my life. So it's the response and the call. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And then you have the content of his praise. From verses 3 through 10. Talks about humans, inadequacy of, of being the Savior. By saying, don't put your trust in princes. In human beings who cannot, they cannot save. Their spirit departs, they return to the ground. So saying they're inadequate to be the Savior. This is why I praise the Lord. Remembering at the very top, this is the thing that I'm doing is praising the Lord. I cannot praise man because they're inadequate in the praise. They do not last ever, ever, everlastingly as our God does. And then moving further, he talks about the divine king. Blessed are those, in verse 5, whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the law, or whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. So he goes to the creator, God as the creator. And God as the provider, upholds the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, sets prisoners free, gives sight to the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but frustrates the ways of the wicked. He even talks about how he gets underneath the skin of the wicked and he deals with their misgivings. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. I will cause my soul, my life, to praise his name. And then in verse 10, he gives the epilogue. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. This is a psalm of orientation. A psalm of orientation. Understanding who it is that, that, that you are serving. Understanding the necessity for you to give him thanks and praise. These are things that are taught. To Jews as a, as a, at a very young, young age. These are things they sing inside the synagogues. Things that they, they communicate consistently in these times. These offerings of praise, this foundational element. Because guess what? If you hit a stage of disorientation in your life and you don't have an established understanding of who God is, then that stage of disorientation will send you into depression that you feel like you cannot get out of. It will send you into anxiety that you are not able to deal with. It will send you into an era of addiction because that is going to be your only reprieve. Which sooner or later will end up in destruction. This foundational element will be the thing that keeps you standing or at least in a place of not sinking. To where even if you're knocked to your knees, your, your posture and your attitude can still be faced up and forward. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will give you praise because you are worthy of it. Man cannot satisfy 
the desires of my heart. I cannot satisfy the desires of my heart. Because once man passes away, their plans and their drivenness also moves with them. You can have a continuation of something. You see this in, in, the, in the kingly line where you have uh, a child that, that takes over for their, their father as king. And then they take, but it's still not the same because they are not their father. It then becomes their understanding and willingness to walk into something. So when that person passes, so does the entirety and totality of themselves in that. Man can pass, but they are not the Savior. Praise the Lord, the God who provides and even frustrates the wicked. He is the one that can redeem that which was lost. Praise the Lord. This is all defined by worship. I love that it ends with this attitude right here. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. For all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the attitude here. Many times we, we think of worship as something that, that precedes the preaching. And that's just something to kind of get us pumped up a little bit. Get your blood moving, you get to dance a little bit at the very beginning. And we go from fast song to maybe middle fast song. And then we go to slow song. And then we may move into a special moment after that. And then bam. Now we receive an offering and we get to the preaching. That's it. That's what you, that's what you wanted to do there. But in reality, you begin with praise. You have the understanding of why that praise is being spoken and then you really give him praise again in the middle of that. Your response is the whole intent and the whole reason why we should also be gathering here in this foundational element that as we come here together, we encourage one another and we uplift one another and we, we are able to, to go through things and, and pick up one another in the, the midst of hard, hard times is that we can get to a position of being able to praise the Lord at the end of that. We gather to praise to deal with things, to understand things more as we study scripture and as we relay these things that we're learning and that we're growing in. And then in that relaying, it causes you to praise him. It's very easy in these, in these times and these days for us to be content overloaded, to be information overloaded, and to just be full of information, but the practical aspect of walking out things is not really there. This is something that, that we all need to learn and grow in. Is that it's easy to know things, but it's very hard to walk them out. And sometimes it's easy for you to, to think you know <laughs> what's going on. And then while doing something, you realize that that's not really what need, needed to happen. This happens with me and Danielle a lot sometimes too. I'm still having to learn how to, how to listen better and how to respond and ask questions and know exactly what the expectation is. Because I can hear maybe the first sentence or maybe the first three sentences. And then after about 10 minutes of, of her talking about whatever it is that, that has to happen, I'm still on the first couple sentences and my mind may have wandered. And then I come back and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's talking about something. I got to sit here and listen. And then it may wander again after a little bit. Does anybody relate to me right now? Am I the only one? Okay. Not the only one. Praise the Lord. 
Y'all need to get it right. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's easy to do that. And then whenever I'm going to go and when I'm going to do the task, I start to do it. And I realize, oh, man, I got the first step down solid. The rest of the stuff I was supposed to do, like 20 more steps, not so much. And then I got to go back and I'm like, hey, babe, <coughs> um, <coughs> how, how are you doing? That's good. I'm glad you're doing well. Oh, you're wondering why I'm standing here and not doing the thing? I was just, you know, just, just coming to ask a question real quick. Uh, hey, how do you do that? And then there's frustration. Because there wasn't a proper understanding and a willingness to sit and to really pay attention and make sure that I fully comprehended what needed to happen. We do this with God a lot. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, um, do unto others because we want, we want stuff. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, where's the part about I'm loved? Yeah, that's cool. So I don't have, yeah, I'm just going to read that I'm loved. That's it. Okay, cool. That's all, that's all I need to know. So I can just do whatever I want to. I'm not going to pay attention to a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Okay, cool. That, that, that I can have now everlasting life. That's, that's awesome. I'm just going to stop right there. That's the only scripture I need to know. Praise the Lord. That's, that's what we use for evangelism, right? That's awesome. Oh, that's just in the middle of a chapter? You mean there's stuff before that? You mean there's also a verse after that too? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Hey, but I'm a Christian though. That's fine. Oh, but what do I believe? Um, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believed in him will not perish. No, I'm not perishing. Oh, but what happens whenever I'm going through something and, and this person really made me mad? I'm condemning that sucker. He's going straight to hell. Heck yeah. Go there, sucker. That's who you needed. Oh, wait, but he didn't come to condemn the world, but he actually came to save it. Oh, so I got to actually love that person too? I thought I was the only one that was loved, though, God. What's up with that? We have to go through the process of, of being intentional about reading what he's, his expect, expectations are for us. If we truly believe that we are believers, then what is our belief in specifically? Who is our belief in? Because a lot of times it ends up being, uh, you can watch, there's, there's many different documentaries and different examples you can find throughout church history of people who have placed their, their faith in a leader of a ministry more than their faith was actually in God. This has happened time and time and time again. There have been times in ancient history where people put their, tra their, their trust and their faith solely in a king so that with every twist and turn that they made, they also fell into idolatry because their faith and expectation was in that king. There are people who have been in movements currently that as that pastor has fallen, they now claim to be agnostics and atheists because their faith, their trust, and their expectation was just in a person. The leader could have also been very egotistical and, and feeling like they can get, uh, get away with many things because they're effective in their gift. Who is it that we're actually praising? Who is it that our worship is actually found in? 
sure you can be around a, a gifted speaker. That's amazing. That's good. I'm glad you're learning. But are you growing with him in relationship? There was an example. I didn't think I was going to go here, but I'm going to go here. Um, there's an example. I, I really love this. I was listening to um, a guy named Tim Ross and, and John Bevere. I was listening to them have a conversation the other day. And, uh, and Tim Ross used this explanation kind of with that passage that says, you know, there will be many that will come and they'll say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I did that. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. I thought this example was very interesting in, in a way to bring in a unique perspective to it. So imagine this. Imagine we own a, a, an apple orchard. Okay. Own an apple orchard. Very successful. We've got some pretty big name clients that are on the list. I mean, one that's like makes granny's apple pies and another one that does, you know, a, 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 a I don't know, an apple juice plant or something like that. And you have all these other ones. So we have these pretty big clients, really successful. We're excited. Usually it takes us eight weeks to harvest all of the apples from our orchard because we have a massive orchard. Really exciting. We have 100 employees to go through the eight weeks worth of harvesting. They've been vetted. They've gone through background checks. We make sure that they've, they've gone through the extensive training so they know that the culture and the climate of our company is represented well. So that they get a little, like they get their hat, they get a little shirt that has our logo on it. They go through all the protocol and all the things that's, that's needed so that they can do the job, they can do it well, and it's efficient, and they get along with everybody who's in the company as well. You know, we're doing all these things to make sure that these things are cohesive. It's awesome. We're like, dude, this is phenomenal. We're just killing it, and we're approaching the time where we're getting ready to start going out and harvesting from this orchard. However, we get reports that there is a massive storm that's going to come in in about four weeks. They're projecting it's going to be huge, and it could destroy half of our crop because we won't be able to complete our harvestation of those apples. Oh, man, this is not a good situation. We only have enough money to pay our employees, our 100 employees, for the time that it's going to take. And we can't pay for overtime. There's, we just don't have the finances in order to do that. But we need to pull these in so that we can fill these orders for our clients so that we don't lose any clients so we need to keep this intact. In and so we, we look and we call this temp agency. We say, hey, we need 100 able-bodied people who can just pick some apples for us. We just need some apples picked. Temp agency comes over. All right, cool. We've got 100 employees. They are rough. They're gruff. They don't have the same type of training that our 100 employees do. Um, they're in the, mi in the middle of picking, picking stuff. They're smoking cigarettes on the premises while they're picking things. They're going and doing nasty things in the bathroom with each other um, in the middle of their stuff. They're, they're going around. Some of them are even like arguing really loudly. They're, they're late to work. They're, they're arriving. But, and, and then you're even, we're even getting complaints from our, 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 our team, the people who are actually out there picking apples. Hey, these people are nuts right now. They're doing this, 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 and that. And we're like, are they picking apples? Let's keep going. We got to get these apples picked. It's the end of the four weeks. And we picked every single one of the apples that we needed to. Celebration time. What a, what a happy day. So our employees are lining up. They're coming up. Hey, Bill, so good to see you. Here's your money. It's awesome. You did such a great job. Thank you. Hey, Susie, you, you did such a great job. Man, we're, we're pumped. You, you just do, do a great job every single day. Oh, hi, Kyle, man. You're just doing, doing an amazing job. It's great to see you. Here's your check, man. Go ahead and you know, have a great day. And we go on through all the different people. Get to the last check. Hand it to our last employee. Man, it's great to see you. Great job. Celebration, man. We were able to get it before the storm comes. But then we have 100 people come up from the temp agency. 
oh man, I don't have any more checks. Um, what was your name? Jansen? I don't, I don't recall Jansen. I'm looking through my employee list. I, like I know all my employees. These, I don't, you, you haven't been vetted. You, you haven't gone through any of our process. Like I don't, I don't know you. Oh, you're bound to this temp agency. We can call that iniquity. You're actually bound to another organization. You were just, we allowed you to continue operating to pick apples. But there's actually no relationship that we have here. You actually are, are, are owned by another organization. They're the ones that are going to give you what you deserve. And of course, you can find some flaws and some holes, and it. it's not a perfect analogy, but it, but it gives you a, an understanding that there are some people who they are doing work, they're, they're giving messages, they may be doing outreach. They have no concept of relationship with God. They have the words, and the Holy Spirit, through His grace, still reaches people in the midst of their inadequacy and their, their misunderstanding of what it is. But when it comes down to the full relationship, when it comes down to the disorientation stage, when it comes down to hard times, then they're very easily dissuaded from the organization. They're very easily moved away from a relationship, what we call a relationship with God, because their foundation and their understanding of who God is is not within the same framework of someone who is a believer. Their trust was in something other than who God is. And so it's important for us to have this orientation stage in our life. It's important for us to have this foundation. When you came to know Christ, you came to know the God who saves you from your sins, saves you from condemnation, saves you and delivers you, releases you from the bondage that you were in so that you can have freedom. The orientation. So now when disorientation happens, you are still able to stand on solid ground. You're still able to stand on solid ground. We also have Psalms of Zion. Psalms of Zion are, are really great. These are written from, a, from praise in the midst of God's presence in Zion. So this is with a recognition, recognizing of his presence in the midst of Zion. And let's look at Psalm 48 for this representation here. Psalm 48, it says, Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphun, is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. This is interesting. Zaphun means, uh, it means the northern part, the north. So the most high place. Th if you know anything about, like, about temple theology or the, the, the location of, of worship that they would have, you always wanted to go to the highest point. It's the highest place. And so Zaphon is a place of, of height, of recognition, of knowing that this is the God who reigns and who rules at the highest place, the highest position, which means that if anyone were to come to attack, he would have an immediate knowing and be able to defend the territory. Also able to see much farther away than anybody else who's on the, on the very bottom 
on the lowliest part of the, of the ground. And so there's lots of advantages to being placed at the highest point, knowing that you can see when enemy territory or enemy is coming upon your territory and you're able to see out further to see what's going on within the realm and the kingdom. And so it's a very specific and very special and powerful place, prominent place to be held. And so this was a, a very sought after and desired location. So beautiful, beautiful in its loftiness. The joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zephon, is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels, and he has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded, and they fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain that, like a woman in labor, you destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. If you knew anything about the geography of the way this was, the, the winds that would come around the Tarshish area were detrimental to many boats and ships as they would, as they would travel through. It would capsize many. It would cause many to, to end up in, in, in horrible conditions. The wind that would flow through from the east was violent and treacherous. And so he describes his God's might and power like the winds as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty. In the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. The outline here is seen in verses 1 through 11 first in the experience of God in Zion. So they go through things. This is my, uh, my professor, Mark Boda. He calls it the, the five B's. Battles, babies, business, belief, and buildings. Goes through all those, those specifics. And it's, these positions are, are pretty important because the battles, they talk about the great exploits that causes a king to have rulership in the land. So when they talk about battles, this is something that is very braggadocious and saying that this is who our God is, is who is the most established and, and uh, one who cannot be conquered in the midst of any enemies. Speaking of them running away in terror, right? They ran in terror. Babies in that this is the succession of carrying forth the familial lines. The covenant promise that God made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Can the continuation of the family, knowing that there will be salvation that comes from the Jews. Business, showing, showing that, that riches and the cash could come to this position so that they would have the things that they would need and the, so, so they can glorify God in the midst of all. They would be one who would be full of trade and, and expectations and the willingness to be able to be used in these capacities. Belief, which is the support of the temples. The temples were a huge thing. If you, any king that you had, a huge con contingency was the expectations of what their worship would be directed to. Would it be directed to Yahweh or would it be directed to someone or other than that? Sometimes it was to themselves. Sometimes they would marry a foreign wife or something like that. And they would bring in some type of idolatry in there. 
So the belief was very specific, especially within the temples and their traditions. Actually, if, if, um, if you go through and read any of the Mesopotamian um, temple building literature, there's a, compi- a compilation that actually my professor had put together with some other Near Eastern uh, theologians. <laughs> very interesting. They took all different types of temple building projects from all different types of religious backgrounds and different people groups. And they found all these different similarities that they would have a position in a place called the cornerstone. I've spoken about the cornerstone before, but the significance of a cornerstone in a temple building was so important because they would be able to go into this cornerstone and they would keep very, very important material in there. For the reason for the building, the blueprints for how they built the temple, they would go through the religious beliefs and practices of what the significance of the temple was for, who the God was that they were worshiping, and the attitude that they should have in the midst of all those things and how they should actually live as a society together in relation to this God that they were serving. That's why when it says in Scripture that Christ is the cornerstone, this is very valuable for us because this is the way that we should be able to build and live our lives upon as we build up and have a foundation. The foundation is first laid with the cornerstone because that's where the most valuable and important documents are kept. So even if a temple is destroyed over top, if a cornerstone remains, then there's still the ability for someone to rebuild and to still maintain that lifestyle that they had. There were 3,000 years worth of, of temple building information within some of the cornerstones that they were able to upheave and find. And they realized that even from those 3,000 years, they still had people who were Greek speaking, not Aramaic speaking or not uh, Hebraic speaking, but Um, They were Greek speaking. They still walked out many of the practices and all those different expectations because they were able to identify that there was information in this cornerstone that they could take out and they could follow. So the cornerstone is something that transcends just a specific person's leadership in humanity. So with Christ being our cornerstone, he is the one that transcends just a pastor's ability to communicate the gospel transcends traditional expectations that you've had either denominationally or anything else that you maybe have experienced is that Christ should be the center of that this is why I love being able to congregate and to to hang out with people from other denominations because it is not their denomination that my faith hinges upon it's not it's Christ And if their attitude is the same way, then we have great common ground that we're able to stand upon. Because my expectation is not for their denomination to supersede my belief. My expectation is that Christ conquers all of our hearts. And then buildings. The building aspect is is very integral, again, because of the aspect of temple building, like I was just talking about. It establishes the way that you're supposed to live. If you look in the book of Deuteronomy, it has a list of blessings and a listing of cursing as well that happens. If you disobey the Lord and you go against his, his, his will and his acts, you are susceptible to taking upon yourself curses. And those curses look very differently depending on it, but sometimes it's an affliction. Sometimes it's the consequence of your behavior. Sometimes you open yourself up to be bound by a thought process or an ideology. When idolatry enters your heart, then it's easy to be swayed to and fro by whatever the opinions are of somebody else. 
instead of having a firm belief system of who is Christ and who am I in Christ and how is he transforming me. And you cannot know that if you don't have a foundation and orientation first. Foundational belief of who Christ is. That's why it's interesting that whenever you go and you get a new job, you have to go to what? Orientation, right? Yeah. When kids start a new school year, right before the school year starts, you've got to go in and they have to go through a thing called orientation, right? The first couple days of school, typically, the teachers, I even do this whenever I teach online. I, the very first time I meet with the students, I always either do a video or I meet with them over, over Zoom, and I talk to them through an orientation of the class. This is what you can expect out of this class that I'm going to be teaching you. This is the syllabus. This is my list and my set of rules and expectations and what you need to do in order to pass this class and make good grades. The foundation that's set for the rest of the semester that we have those students for. And so in our belief system, we have to have our process of orientation set. Because if not, then your faith is built on a moment that you had praying a prayer that Step in ginger on that one. Praying the sinner's prayer is not the salvation. Mm. The sinner prayer is not the thing that saves you. It is Christ that saves you and relationship with Christ that saves you. So just because you said a prayer does not mean that you are now good and that's it. That doesn't equal faith. That equals you said words. Now, you can have faith in the midst of praying that. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. But faith without works is dead. Okay? Faith without works is dead. So there's an orientation process that you have to orient your heart now to say, I am not going to fall susceptible to just saying words, and then now I'd have no action along with that. That is poor relationship. And so having the attitude of saying, I need to orient myself to find out what his expectations are for me and really understand what I'm supposed to be believing and then have conversations with God in the midst of all of it and say, Lord, help me in the midst of any kind of unbelief that I could have so that whenever I actually read scripture, I'm not defined by somebody else's expectations upon me. I'm actually defined by what does the text say? And I'm, am I being diligent and asking questions when I don't understand? That's what makes it good. We cannot take the approach of I'm just paying attention for a little bit, but then I'm phased out for the rest of the time, and then I come back. And then now, when I first start to do some stuff, now not only am I frustrated, but I'm also embarrassed, and then I got to go back and try to figure out what's going on. Right, the, the, the example of me and my wife, ooh, if I'm not doing that, then goodness. I'm going to encounter some some contentious situations. And that's on me. That's on me to understand and to realize that I have to be I have to be attentive enough and I have to be responsible enough to know that because we're in a relationship, I need to realize that I have now sacrificed myself so that we could be cohesive together and we could be a unit. Which is what we end up not doing, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this, we end up not doing this in our own life with, with our relationship with God is that we end up saying, I'm only in this enough to say that I'm going to be saved and I'm going to show up enough to where maybe I can get a good feeling whenever I show up around some other believers, but I'm not totally in this sacrificially 
to where I'm actually giving myself to you. I'm surrendering my discomfort and saying, I will be discomfortable. I'll be uncomfortable because I want to please and honor you because you're asking me to do something else. And it actually is going to bring me joy to lay my life down for you in every aspect. That's actually going to be the good outcome that's going to give me this. But I cannot be sacrificial if I am being self-centered, if I am being, if I am being selfish, if I am my idol and pleasure becomes my God. And you see in the midst of this orientation, it's the first hearing of the praise of God. Then it's seen that he is good. It's meditating on the things that you've heard and then recounting his goodness by praising him. So you have those, those four things. You can put that up if you want to, Philip. You hear then you see, you meditate, and you recount. You heard his voice in the depths of your soul when you gave your life to Christ, saying, I'm in need of a Savior. Then you see that his goodness and his mercy follows you in the middle of that. You see in Scripture that he has many things to say, and his desire is for you. Then you meditate on that so that it becomes a part of you. In Psalm 119, it says it's like it's tattooed on your heart. It is a part of you. And then you can recount his goodness by offering him praise. That is the oriented process that we're supposed to be living in. So are we starting our process resting in our sovereign God? Or are we striving so much that we cannot rest and reflect? and meditate on his goodness and his provision and his mercy and his triumph so that we then work the rest of the time from a position of grace, rest, and holiness. I don't work for his favor. I work from his favor. I don't work for his presence. I work from his presence. I don't work for salvation. I work from salvation. And that is where the joy of the Lord will give you strength. Because you are not full of joy if you're trying to earn your way into relationship with him. But if you know that he accepted you, he actually gave his life for you way before you even committed your first sin, now you can live from a position of knowing I am loved and so I live from love and I don't live for love. So now I have joy. Because I've encountered and experienced and believe in his love for me. And now I can treat other people in that same way. Knowing that before they know truly his goodness, I can love them. Because God truly does love them as well. Let's stand. Jesus, we are here. We're here for you. We've gathered in this place to honor you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, we are here. We're here for you. 
Give us an understanding, Lord, and a desire to have true relationship with you. Let us live from a position of grace and holiness because it's found in you. I pray that the bondage of misunderstanding and laziness is ripped off of us in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those like me that it's, it's hard to rest. Lord, that you would just put us into a position of rest. That you would give us a desire for rest and recalibration. And that we can get some things sorted out and figured out in, internally. That we can hear your voice and, and experience your conviction and correction in a way that excites us for those moments of rest. And then, Lord, give us an expectation and courage to walk out the rest of those six days with full-fledged hard work, but be joyous in the midst of it because of our understanding of who you are as the sovereign provider. And let us trust that the work that we do is pleasing unto you, that we represent you with every step that we take, every word that we use, everything we put our hands to, everything that we put our minds to. Lord, that we would represent you in every single area. And then, Lord, I pray that we are able to recall and recollect the good deeds that you have done, not just in our lives, but in Scripture. Not just in Scripture, but throughout history. Not just throughout history, but in our families. Lord, that we would be students of your word, knowing that we need to know what you expect from us. Lord, that in our relationships that we're able to honor you, that we would give ourselves as a living sacrifice, like Dr. Hawkins spoke of, when it's holy and acceptable, pleasing unto you, Father. Not being conformed by other people's ideologies or the ways of culture or the climate of our jobs or anything like that, but, Lord, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we spend time with you. Lord, that we would not be so easily offended when we're corrected, that we would not be so easily offended when we are in the midst of confrontation. Lord, that we would treat that as an opportunity for growth, that we would treat that as an opportunity for development, that we would treat that as an opportunity to love somebody else and for us to grow internally as well. Lord, help us to have a correct foundational orientation that honors you and that gives you praise. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Start with praise. Recall his good deeds. And then make that be a process where it leads you into praise. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Go eat with somebody.